Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your household are doing well. We are in the subject of the blood covenant, and we are still in the first point uh, of that, and that that is the uh, uh, that's the New Testament equivalent equivalent of Yahvishama, because you see. Uh, all the promises that God made to the people uh, of Israel, the Israelites in the Old Covenant, you will find the same promises, but enhanced and much greater and much better in the New Covenant. So I'm showing you New, New Testament scriptures that promise um, God's people in the New Covenant the very same thing that he promised his people in the Old Covenant and even more. So the first point we were looking at uh, was uh, in the Old Covenant, God revealed himself through the Jehovah or the Yahweh names. You know, that was his covenant name. He said, I'm Yahweh Shammah. That means I'm the Lord, the ever, I'm the Lord, the ever present one. And in the New Covenant, we have his promise, the promise of his presence with us. And that's what we are looking at. So yesterday we finished talking about John 15 verses 4 to 7. Abide in me and I in you. And now I'm going to talk about Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And uh, this is when Jesus said, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So here we see uh, another promise of God's presence when he says, I am with you. And lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, in which he promises his perpetual presence. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But this, this one is interesting because here he promises us his presence in the context, within the context of our preaching the gospel. So he says, the first thing he says is that um, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The, so that is a, a very interesting uh, beginning because you see, uh, you remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and he showed him all the kingdoms and all that. And, and he said to Jesus, he said, you know, all these kingdoms and all the power and the glory of these kingdoms is given unto me and I can give them to you if you will only worship me. And if you remember, Jesus never challenged his assertion that he had all the kingdoms and the, and the glory and the power and all that, because Jesus knew that Satan had a, a, a legal right to those things because he had actually bought it from Adam. Uh, and Adam was the one who originally had power and dominion, but he sold out to Satan when he disobeyed God and he he was tempted by Satan, so he sold out to Satan. So when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan was still in charge and Jesus never challenged his assertion. But on the contrary, what Jesus said to him was, uh, he, he lashed on to something else. He says, it is written that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him alone shalt thou serve. 
But now what happened when Jesus died upon the cross, something happened. He turned the tables on the devil because in, in, in Colossians 2 verse 14, it says that Jesus has disarmed the powers and the principalities that are arrayed against us and has triumphed over them. Uh, uh, you know, upon the cross. So he has disarmed the devil and has uh, and, and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them at the cross. That means that upon the cross, Jesus won a total and decisive victory over Satan and won a total and decisive, uh, uh, you know, victory over him and defeated him completely. And then Jesus when he died, he went down to Hades itself, where he preached the gospel and he set the captives free. And at his resurrection, he took those captives with him when he rose again from the dead. And so then he says, I am the one who was dead and, and who is alive. And I hold the keys to death and to the grave. Because up to, until that point, Satan was the one who held the keys to death and to the grave. But now Jesus took the keys from Satan. He took all power from Satan. And uh, now he says to the disciples that all power in heaven and on earth are given unto me. In other words, I have taken all power from Satan. All power in heaven and on earth, they actually belong to me. And then he says, now you go and teach all nations. In other words, what he's saying is that all power in heaven and earth is given unto me and I'm investing this power in you. I am giving you this power and you go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And here we also see in a nutshell, the Great Commission, what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is to preach the gospel and to teach and to make disciples. And Jesus said that as you go into all the world and preach and teach them everything that I have commanded you, he said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I will never leave you and forsake you. And I have seen that in my own life. Whenever I've been on the missions field, I've been to dangerous places. Uh, once, you know, I mean, I have been arrested. Uh, in, in two different countries. I've been in prison in one country. And, you know, all those things that I've been through, one thing I can tell you, I always had the presence of the Lord strongly manifested me, with me during those times because he said, you go and preach the gospel and I am with you always, always, nonstop. His perpetual presence with us. Hallelujah. So we have this wonderful promise of the presence of God upon our lives. Now, in John 14, verses 18, 21, and 23, Jesus is, uh, he says, this is when he makes the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, uh, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Jesus is saying that I will not leave you comfortless. That means I'm not going to leave you alone without anyone to encourage you or comfort you or console you or to, to you know, basically he's talking about encouragement here. I'm not going to leave you without encouragement, but I am going to come to you. And uh, 
Then he says that he that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved by my father, and I will love him and will manifest to him. Now, as I you remember that in the old covenant, um, uh, the, how do you say, uh, God's covenant with the people of Israel, it was dependent upon faith and obedience, you know, about, upon their faith and obedience. And, and the covenant was always there, but if they were disobedient to his word and they did their own thing, they just couldn't count on the covenant blessings. That's when they were defeated, they were in trouble. And it's the same thing in the new covenant. The new covenant is wonderful, but it is, it works only when we live and walk in the covenant. So here he's saying, this is very important for us to understand <coughs> if we are going to, if you and I want to live in the blessings of God. He says, he who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So uh, how you know, anyone can say, oh, I love Jesus. I, I know people who, who, don't, uh, who don't live for Jesus, who claim to love him. Because, you know, there's one thing about Jesus. If you study his teachings, uh, you know, uh, or let me word it this way. I know many people who are not even Christians. They, they study his, you know, I mean, they have studied his life and they come away with this idea. Jesus was this nice guy. You know, he wouldn't even hurt a fly. He's a... He was a very, very nice man. So, so it cannot even enter to them that, uh, that Jesus could ever not keep his word for anybody. He is just so nice. He's such a nice guy that no matter what we do, he will always honor his word and he will always bless us. He's always, he'll always be good to us. And, and, and if we uh, turn away, turn our backs to him, he's so nice. He won't let us go to hell. He will still make sure everyone goes to heaven. He's just such a nice guy. But this is what Jesus said. Now, Jesus was a nice man. And he, I mean, he was the most loving man he ever lived, but he set in motion certain spiritual laws and certain truths. And he set in place certain conditions. And if we are to reap his blessings, we have to meet those conditions. And one of them is that, that if we have his word and we keep his word, that is how we know we love him. So to love Jesus, to say I love Jesus is not a matter of lip service to say I love him. Uh, you know, Jesus was such a nice guy and I love him. Now, that's not love. Love to love him means to keep his word. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He said, listen, if you love me, you will keep my word. In other words, I don't want your lip service love, but I want your real love, your real devotion. And the real love and real devotion for Jesus is if we keep his word, if we honor his word and keep his word. That's what Jesus is saying, that he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That the one who loves me is the one who keeps my word. And he that loves me shall be loved of my father. He who keeps my word, in other words, he who keeps my word is the one who loves me and he shall be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So those who keep his word are the ones who love him and they who keep his word, the father will also love him. And Jesus says, I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. So here's a wonderful promise he has that he will manifest his presence to those who love him and keep his word. That's what he's saying. I'm kind of condensing this whole verse together. 
And then in verse 23, he's kind of saying the same thing, but in different words. He says, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. So how do we know whether a person loves Jesus? He will keep his word. In other words, a person who, who knows what the word of God says and does not keep it, does not really love Jesus. And it doesn't matter how much he claims to love Jesus, but if he doesn't keep his word, he does not love Jesus. And, and, and that's what he's saying, that if a man loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Hallelujah. So Jesus had said that, Jesus said that if you if you love me, you will keep my word. And if you just keep my word, the Father and I, we will come and live in you. We will live with you. Hallelujah. You know, you know what? When I think of that, to have the manifest presence of God in my life, I, I mean, you know what? There's nothing in those, this world um, that, that is worth holding on to. If I could just have this, have the manifest presence of the Father and the Son living in me. Amen. So we have now talked about God's promise of his perpetual presence in our lives. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is he is our healer, that Jesus Christ is our healer. And that's the new covenant equivalent of the old covenant promise of Yahweh Rapha. Uh, that is uh, in Exodus 15, 26, he says, I am the Lord, your physician. I am the Lord that healeth thee. So in the new covenant, I want to show you several scriptures for this, that in the promises, uh, the promise of God that he is our healer in the new covenant. First Peter 2.24, it says, Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. So healed. So it is actually the equivalent of Isaiah 53rd verses 4 and 5, where it says, Surely he has borne our diseases and he has carried our pains. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. Now, this is describing what happened to our Lord Jesus when he was um, whipped and bruised and beaten and crucified. The first thing they did to him, they tied him up and, and the Roman soldiers whipped him. They used to have a, an instrument of torture called a flagrum. Now a flagrum was like a whip uh, with nine thick and long belts of leather. And each one of these belts of leather had sharp pieces of metal and bone on it. And what they did to Jesus was that they took his clothes off and they stretched him out and they tied him up. And a big, burly, strong Roman soldier took that whip and he began to whip Jesus. With each cut of that whip, uh, that, you know, those pieces of metal and bone, they tore off pieces of uh, flesh and, and skin from his back. And they whipped him and whipped him. And with each cut of that whip, there were these long furrows left on his back. And I believe it's Psalm 129. Uh, yeah, it is Psalm 129, which says that plowmen have plowed my back and have made long furrows. So his back looked like a field that had been plowed and his precious blood began to flow from his back. And the Bible tells us why he was whipped. It says that surely, surely, that means without a doubt, 
He has borne our diseases, our mental and physical diseases and afflictions upon his own self. And he, uh, and he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was beaten that we might have peace. And with his stripes, we have been healed. So the whole sequence of events was that how they whipped him. After that, they put a crown of thorns upon him and mocked him. Uh, you know, like he was a fake king and they took these sticks, these two by fours and they beat him up so badly that Isaiah, the 52nd chapter says that his face was disfigured beyond recognition. And then they beat him and then they mocked him and cursed him. So he was covered with his blood with his own blood, then they spat upon him, they threw dirt upon him, they mocked him and blasphemed him. And there he stood, the son of God, who had never done any man any wrong, covered with his own blood, totally disfigured and black and beyond recognition, covered with the spit of sinners and covered with dirt and with the blasphemies of men ringing in his ears, they made him carry the cross to Calvary where they crucified him. They took his long iron nails and nailed them through his hands and his feet and they hung him upon the cross and he hung upon the cross for six hours. Now, during that sequence of events, the Bible tells us <coughs> what had happened, that he, he bore all of our sins, our, our, our iniquities, our transgressions, our sins. God took all our sins and put them upon him. God took all our physical and our mental diseases and infirmities and put them upon him. And then he was beaten that we might have peace, peace with God and peace within our own hearts and peace with our fellow man. And, and bearing our sins and bearing our diseases and bearing our unrest, our mental and soulish unrest. And then the Bible says that he became a curse for us because it is written that cursed is he who is hung upon a tree. So he bore our sins, he bore our diseases, and he was beaten that might have peace. And on top of that, he became a curse for us. And then he died upon the cross paying that price. And that is when Jesus became our substitute. That means that he became like us so that we can become like him. So he bore our sins so we can be declared righteous by God. He bore our diseases so that we can be declared as healed by God. He took away our lack of peace by being beaten and he became a curse for us so that we no longer are cursed, but we are blessed. So that is what he's talking about when we say Jesus is our healer. You see, in the old covenant, they had God who said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And God was their healer. He did miracles and he healed them. But in the new covenant, we have a suffering, bleeding savior who not only can heal because he did that when he walked upon this earth. The Bible tells us, and I'll show you the scriptures where it says he healed people again and again and again all over the place. He healed the sick, but he not only healed the sick, but he bore our sins and he carried our diseases upon his own self, our substitute, not only for, um, 
for the people who lived at that time, but for human beings in all perpetuity. This is a far greater healing work of God than, that, than there was in the old covenant because it encompasses all mankind of all races, of all nationalities. He bore all of our sins and all of our diseases upon his own self. So it says in 1 Peter 2.24, so that is the backdrop to the scripture. It says, who his own self, that is his own self in his own body, he bore and bore means that he carried upon his own self as our substitute so that we don't have to carry them anymore. He bore <coughs> our sins in his own body upon the cross, upon the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness and by whose stripes ye were healed and by the wounds, by the stripes that were laid upon his back, we have been completely healed. Hallelujah. So if the Bible declares once for all that ye were healed, it doesn't say that you might be healed or you will be healed or if it is God's will, you be healed. I remember I went to church years ago and somebody was very ill. Uh, I think they had some serious disease. And I remember this pastor uh, back in Sweden, he said, well, if it pleases God, let us pray for this brother that he may be healed. And I said, you know what, you might as well be saying that uh, he's going to die because what you are saying that you really have no faith in God's willingness to heal. Faith does not believe in, in God's ability to heal. I used to believe that when I was a Muslim. Of course, he's a God. He's God. If he's God, he can do anything he wants to. But faith is to believe in God's willingness to heal. And God is willing to heal every human being, man, woman, and child, because he bore our diseases upon his own self as a substitute. And that is the same reason why God is willing to save every single human being. He will never turn one single human being away and say that, well, I don't want to save him. It is not my will because I have a greater purpose in mind. I'm a sovereign God. And who are you to tell me who to save? I can save who I want to. I can damn who I want to. He didn't do that. He bore everybody's diseases and everybody's sins so that every human being has the right to come to God and right. And I say it is a right. I'm not talking about twisting God's arm, but we have a right because Jesus has paid the price for us to every human being has the right to come to, to come to the Lord and say, I want to be saved. I give you my sin. I receive forgiveness. It is a given. It belongs to us because Jesus has paid the price for it. And so in the same way, Jesus has paid the price for our healing. Every single human being has a right to come to the Father and to receive healing for his body. Amen. So it says, so by whose stripes ye were healed. So we were healed means that it was done 2000 years ago. Jesus bore our diseases upon the cross. So it is not something he's going to do. It is always there because it has been done so and i would encourage you to to do one thing uh, you, i want you to read the new testament and look at uh, you know you, you can look at the bible from different viewpoints looking for different things it's the same word but sometimes you're looking for this sometimes you're looking for that and one thing is an interesting study is to look at the past tense of god's word 
Look at the look at things that God has promised he will do. But there are things that God has said he has already done. And this is an interesting way to look at it because uh, healing in one way, if you look at it from this viewpoint, is not really a promise. There really is no in one way there is a promise of healing, but in another sense, there is really no promise as a promise of healing, but there's a declaration of healing as something as, that has already been done. So, for example, in Ephesians 1, 3, we can see the same thing there. There is a promise of blessing. You know, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. We, you know, we bless one another. And, uh, uh, but there is, there is also a past tense when it comes to the blessing of God. And Ephesians 1, 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has blessed us with every blessing in Christ in the heavenly realm. So which says that God has already blessed us. So here it says God has already healed us. So when you see things that God says that he has already done, those are things you should seize upon and thank God for them. Instead of asking God for them, start thanking God and say, Father, I thank you that you have already blessed me, that <coughs> you have said that I'm blessed with every blessing in Christ. So it belongs to me. It has already been done for me. And I thank you that there's no devil on earth who can take those things away from me because they belong to me. You have already put it in my account. It is in my account. It belongs to me and nobody can go in there and take it away. So, you know, if someone puts money in your account, uh, then you're not expecting it. It's already there. So all you have to do two things. You thank that person and thank you. Thank you, brother, for sending me the money. Like when I was going to feed these pastors in Africa, one pastor said to me, uh, brother, I'm going to send you $40,000. And I was shocked. Uh, and then when finally the 40,000 came in, when they came in and I saw that they reflected on my account, I didn't call him again and say, oh, brother, where's the $40,000? I thanked him. I said, brother, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So when something is already reflected in your account, you thank him and you acknowledge him. And then, you know, the next thing you do to get that out, you have to sign it. All you have to do is sign it and your signature is your profession and confession of faith and your thanksgiving to God. So when the Bible says that with his stripes, we are healed and the way you take that out of your account and apply it to your life, because some, you can, you see, you can have something belong to you. It is in your account, but, but it will never benefit you unless you actually go and sign for it. So how you how do you sign for healing that Jesus has already paid for and deposited in your account? You, you said, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. I thank you. I acknowledge that you have borne my diseases and carried all my pains. And with your stripes, I'm healed. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that is the confession of your mouth. Father, I believe that I receive it. I take it by faith and it is mine. It is mine. It belongs to you. It is in my body and you, you know, and so you kind of, you take a hold of that and you, and that is how you take possession of everything that God has for you. Well, praise God. We will continue and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, keep on talking tomorrow about, uh, our healer, how Jesus is our healer. We have this wonderful promise plus a proclamation that healing has been purchased for us upon the cross of Calvary. We'll talk about it more tomorrow, but let's pray now. Father, in the name of Jesus, pray for my brothers and sisters 
who have heard the sound of my voice, I ask you that you continue your hand, your mercy, your blessing upon them. Use them mightily for your glory. And Father, touch them in the name of Jesus. If anybody be sick in their home, touch them and heal them now. I declare life and health and healing upon you, upon your household in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. And uh, do send me a comment, write to me, tell me how these teachings are teaching you because I'm going to do this every day. And when I'm finished with this subject in a couple of days, I'm going to start something new. And um, God bless you.